Well, welcome to Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church, everyone. Um, this is the podcast with the longest name that shoots for clarity, as we like to say. <laughs> uh, I'm Mark Chaffee, and I'm here with Andrew Metcalf and Pastor David Gadini. Say hi, guys. Hey, hello. And, uh, you know, in this podcast, uh, this is where we invite you to ask your questions about God, life, faith, the Bible. You know, Dave, can you give us a longer uh, explanation how you used to do on uh, podcasts of old? Yeah, you know, we've been doing this for about 10 years in one form or another out of our church, Fellowship of Faith here in McHenry. And uh, Mark, I mean, this is kind of a flashback because we started doing the podcast together maybe three, four years ago. Yeah. I want to say, you know, it took a hiatus. We picked up again last week, the resurrection episode. By the way, if you missed it, make sure to catch it on Spotify. Just questions you never thought you could ask in church. And uh, we had Steve Wells hosting with us last week. And uh, apparently it, got fired. There's I just, yeah, he, he <laughs> boom, off to Michigan. You know, it's like, I'm done. No, no, Steve is out. Actually, his aunt isn't doing too well. And uh, he and family went up to Michigan. And uh, we, we got to have like one of these reunion episodes, though, Mark, where it's you, Steve, and me, because there's just some combination of things coming oh, yeah. together there. But the, the spirit of this podcast is, uh, you know, 20, 21 years doing professional ministry, I see people come into churches all the time, and whenever they come in, they have their game face on. Yeah. They, they don't feel like it's a safe place. They don't feel like they can be themselves. They don't feel like they can ask the questions that um, are the real questions, You know, the ones that, that are really tapping something deep, tapping the areas of crisis, tapping the areas of doubt, tapping the areas where they fear they might get judged. And the spirit of this podcast and and really our church is to be a place where you can come with whatever questions you have you um, can be honest and transparent and we will on we will answer them as honestly and transparently as we can um, because I believe personally God wants us asking questions if we're not asking questions about um, matters of God faith life Bible or religion I don't think we're taking it seriously enough mm-hmm. so this is the place that you can ask them you get to ask them anonymously and we'll do the best job we can to answer them in uh, real time here on the spot yeah, and I'll also add to that, um, this isn't just, you know, we're not just throwing this out there as something that we're just <laughs> saying on a, on a Wednesday here for this podcast. Fellowship of Faith in McHenry, Illinois, it's the type of church where you can ask these questions randomly on a weekend. Um, and I'll say that because you're the pastor. Yeah, right? yeah. So, yeah <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so you're not going yeah. to go there and just say, hey, you're welcome because people may not believe you. I don't know. No, yeah, but, no, but no, but it, it's true. It, it it's actually true. is very true. Yeah. It's a very safe, comforting environment to come as you are. Um, yeah, so if anybody's looking for a place or hit up fellowshipoffaith.org, certainly, um, for more information yeah. on that. And yeah, and hopefully this can be an outlet where you can see what it's about and, uh, yeah, you know, field the questions and get in the conversation. Join the conversation with us this morning and uh, let's give them the text and number while sure. we're at it so they know where to go. Yeah. Text and number is 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. You can text in whatever questions you have. Text an answer and see if Dave can come up with a question. That, you know, that would be fun too. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's, how, that's how, how we can everything work. Yeah, so anything's fair game. So uh, should we jump in? Let's jump in. All right. Well, we're going to kick off with a question that uh, was submitted last week, but um, didn't have a chance to get to it uh, right away. And we see some folks coming in right now with some questions online. That's great. If you want to hit to 216 and that on Facebook, please, uh, you know, throw up your questions. I mean, not throw up like vomit or barf or anything. Right. Like well, I, on, your own, on your own computer, it's fine. Just <laughs> well, not on your friends. Exactly. You know? it, yeah. Not at the public library. Type yeah. Of, yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Never it. touch the public library computer. <laughs> 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 Sorry, it's got a little something in my throat there. Uh, but yeah, uh, before we get to uh, the questions we have up here on the screen, let's hit uh, something from last week that uh, you didn't get a chance to. Um, yeah, yeah, sounds good. What do we got? The question says, if the books of Genesis, Job, and Isaiah are referencing mythological creatures, how do we know it's not a book full of other fictional stories? <laughs> good question. Thank you for asking. And uh, this is actually, I believe, a follow-up to a question that... Um, Steve asked that he that got submitted, and um, the question was, "Fit dinosaurs into the Bible?" I'm not getting this exactly, but it was something like, "Like, did God create dinosaurs? How did dinosaurs fit into a creation worldview um, or an evolutionary worldview? How, how does Christianity handle them? Can you find them in the Bible?" And it kind of got us on this digression 
of these various passages where you read about these, you know, the way I like to put it is these big beasties, <laughs> you know, and they have names like, you know, Leviathan right. and, um, you, you know, Behemoth and Lotan and Rahab. And, you know, and there's some others too, uh, the Tanin, you know, I mentioned last week. And to give context to this question is when you read about these creatures in the Bible, are they referencing something zoological or mythological? And what I mean by that is that are they referring to something that was an actual species or creature that either existed in their time or existed in memory of time? Right. Um, or was it drawing on the ancient Near East myths looking to make a place you know, with that? And sometimes it actually might be both. But I think what the nature of this question is getting at is if we were to say that, let's say, Leviathan was predominantly a mythological reference, that it didn't really have a zoological reference, if I can put it that way. Well, shoot, what does this do to the rest of the Bible? Um, doesn't that mean the rest of the Bible are filled with these mythological stories? And how do I reconcile sure. with that and navigate it? So I'm going to ask you to repeat it one more time so I can answer it with as kind of much razor clarity as I can. Absolutely. And then I'll jump in. If the books of Genesis, Job, and Isaiah are referencing mythological creatures, how do we know it's not a book, assuming they're probably talking about the, the Bible, Bible or yeah, yeah. Um, is not a book full of other fictional stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. And uh, I'm going to answer it a couple different ways here. One, um, the Bible certainly is filled with fictional stories. Yeah. Uh, one third of what Jesus teaches are parables. Mm -hmm. uh, these are made up stories. So you got to start thinking of the Bible as a collection of books. And within those books, collections themselves, even if punned by one author, uh, of different ways of communication. Mm -hmm. I can almost throw the question back to the, to the listener and say, when you listen to someone talk, or you read a book, or you watch a movie, or you listen to something on the radio, how do you know if what they're referencing is in fact true or believed to be true mm -hmm. or mythological? Yeah. Right. This is part of the interpretive process that all of us do when we engage in language. And if you're looking for some kind of simple formula that you can take to the Bible and go, when it says these three words, you know, it has to be mythological. Or when you see these three words, you know, it has to be historical. You're kind of sniffing down the wrong track and you're looking for, uh, forgive me, but like a second grade answer to a 12th grade question. So trying to be a little too systematic with it may not be the appropriate yeah, approach. And I find that sometimes I think people get a little weird with the Bible. <laughs> Understatement <laughs> of all time. Yeah, uh, the Bible is literature and it is certainly not less than any other work of literature. You know, I came to realize in seminary that English class mattered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how to read and interpret matters. And, and we come across all the time with various points of genre. So, so what I would say is, is, is some navigating principles is uh, much of the Bible is, in fact, history. Mm -hmm. And uh, get the sense of where the author is taking you, the point he's trying to make, what he's doing with the story, the nature of how the story is written. Is it highly poetic or is it highly prose? What are some of the context clues? Is he giving dates? Is he giving um, a lineage? Is he giving genealogy? Is it getting referenced later on? What's the intertextuality look like? I mean, we can get into this, this subject called hermeneutics, mm -hmm. which is the art and interpretation of the Bible endlessly. And this is such a big field question. Um, how's that for you? Well, my, my initial reaction is I just, I don't know why I just thought of this, but if, you know, if my last name was Nudix, I definitely have a child named Herman. Herman. But, Absolutely. How, um, could you not? How could you not? <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, I, I think one of the questions that will really pop up is, okay, well then how do you know when you're reading it? I'm just an average Joe, you know, maybe I have some education, um, but you know, all these things that you lay out, you know, yeah. how do I know this is necessarily, I mean, prose or um, whatever it may be, do you recommend reading what other people have to say about it? Because everybody has different opinions on every verse of the Bible. There's a thousand different opinions. And you might not know off the bat when you first read it, because the Bible is meant to be read in community and it's meant to be read in context. And context doesn't mean just the chapter before and after it. Context means the 2,000 years of Christian history and the Judaic and Hebrew history before that for arguably 1,500 years that surrounds it and how the community of faith has interacted with these books and interpreted these books and learned from these books and wrestled with these books. And certainly there is some diversity within that. But I think you'll find that by and far, there's far more commonality even among different belief systems and denominational traditions and worldviews and, and how you read the Bible. And so talk to your pastor, 
If you don't have a pastor, find a pastor. Get some good books on this. You got to be wary of internet searches to Mm -hmm. a degree. It's certainly a place to start, but there's a lot of schlock out there, as we all know, especially when it comes to philosophy Mm -hmm. and, you know, theology and and things like that. Um, But wrestle with it. And do you remember those times maybe you had to do like the the required class in English, Um, you know, in college, you know, Mm -hmm. they make you do like the the, the world lit course (laughs) or... Uh, you know, even the high school course, you're doing Brit lit or you're doing some kind of like 12th grade lit and you're reading this stuff and like you've read three pages and then you come out of your fog and you're like, I have no idea what I read. Happens to everyone the first time they read Shakespeare. Every time right? I study. Every anything. time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it funny how that same same question could apply to basically everything that you've read that goes beyond like hop on pop? <laughs> you know? Not that you're dissing hop on pop. No, no. Right. Great lit, yeah, you know? Absolutely. But like, Christine, what did I just read here? Yeah. Um, you might need to reread it. Everything is not going to be apparent to you the first time through. It is complex literature. And the Bible has this gift and that it can communicate God's truth in such a razor sharp way to the most simple minded and youngest and and, and most illiterate of readers. And yet continue to challenge the sages and philosophers of the day. Um, Look, there's more characters and plot twists than war and peace in this thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that to scare you off. I'm saying that to encourage you. Because as you get into it, you are going to enter into an immense just array of the complexity and richness of God's revelation. And would you want it to be any less? No, oh, yeah, absolutely. As you come to these individual examples, you might find that in one place it has a theological, uh, rather a, a mythological reference, and in another place it might have a zoological reference. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe that Genesis is by and far historical. But then we have to ask the question of what that means in, in the way that we talk about history today. So... We're opening a big can of worms here, and I don't want to go down this rabbit trail to the point that our listeners might not care. Um, So I'll leave it to you guys to fire back or maybe text-ins to follow up. Again, 815-314-0363. One thing I was thinking of with that is if it's, you know, if it's kind of not necessarily up to interpretation, but... Oh, and I hate that. I hate that, Andrew, but keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Keep Um, going. I mean, someone could say that there's, okay, why are there so many different denominations and so many different translations of the Bible, you know, all still in English, you can scroll through your app on your phone and you write a hundred different versions. Yeah. So how can you pick it, pick up on all of the, the different poetic things and the different symbolism if there's 1800 different ways to read it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few different um, points I want to pick up on in that stream. And one, I, I've got to caution people right off the bat. There is this, this, this cliche answer or response people often bring to questions of theology, philosophy, or even the Bible. And it's like, it's up to your interpretation. Yeah. Well, no, it's really not, it's not. because the author meant something by <laughs> exactly. it. And, and so you are, of course, free to interpret it any way you want. But that doesn't mean that your interpretation is good or right. Just like I can interpret your question yeah. any way that I want. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean I'm interpreting it correctly. So the real trick to the Bible, to, to, to interpreting the Bible is learning to answer the questions that the Bible is asking <laughs> and learning to get at what the author intended by the language he's using, Yeah. right? As far as all these different denominations and all these different Bible translations, I mean, at, at some level, well, let's do the Bible translations first. It's one of the most boring field of studies that has ever existed (laughs) because despite all these different translations that are out there, there is really relatively little difference other than jargon and use of the English language or whatever language you happen to be reading it in. Um, It's not like you read the King James and put it up against the NIV and put it up against like the new living or something like that. And come up or, with two completely different. Y- yeah. Yeah. And, and whether they are considered ecumenical translations or sectarian translations, you really don't. Are, are there points once in a while? Of course they are. Are they heaven and earth shaking ground baking doctrinal issues? No, they're not. Can any interpretation lead you to false conclusions? Well, of course it can. Yeah. Hence why other translations seem to kind of, clarify language with time or go, oh, look what people are doing with that, right? And as far as denominations, I mean, it's really not coming by and far off of translational issues. It's coming off of theologically interpretive issues that are informing not what I'm reading from the Bible, but how I'm reading to the Bible to begin with, the presuppositions that I'm bringing in. What are the dangers in that? In what? 
in, um, I guess, denominational breaks because of different interpretations and um, theological positions on stuff. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, at some level, you know, every denomination thinks it's the shining light. Right. Right. Sure. And at some level, they should. Because if you don't, that's a problem. <laughs> if we don't think we believe the truth here, what are we doing here? You know, yeah. and and yes, yeah, some have kind of reacted going, well, we don't know the truth and we're sticking it together, which, again, we should all be searchers of truth, knowing that we don't have the full revelation of God. But sometimes that results in throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which is equally problematic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would say this, you know, the danger of any small cloistered group is groupthink, right? We have our sets of assumptions, our sets of reading something, our kind of school of thought, and you can get very locked into that. I find immense value to learning from other, and I will use the word orthodox denominations, not every cult, not every sect, not every kind of, you know, fringe group, but, you know, learning from the interpretive traditions that go back for centuries and how they've wrestled with it and comparing those together to kind of really dig richness out of how different groups interpret various passages of the Bible. You know, that actually dovetails very nicely into, I, I wrote a note as you were talking, um, you know, starting to get off in a little bit of a tangent, but to pull it back in, you had mentioned um, one thing that is so important to understanding um, scripture and meaning and understanding type of thing with, with a lot of this, um, this stuff is um, community, you mm -hmm. know, doing community. And, and I think there used to be, um, I think the Judaic tradition of, you know, maybe, you know, pre-Christianity, it was all about community and discussing and arguing over scripture and mm -hmm. the words of the prophets. And mm -hmm. what does this mean? What is it? And it was worked out in community. I don't think it was necessarily worked out just some rabbi on his own saying, blah, blah, blah. maybe there were some of that. Certainly. I think it was a both yeah. and, yeah. But, but certainly there was always a community base. Yeah. yeah. Do you think we've lost a little bit of that fire now yeah. in Christian circles? Absolutely. And I do think in the past 20 years of postmodern movement and things like that, that there's been a refocus and a resurgence of the idea of community. Yeah. But I think it's more talk than reality. Because, and I'm going to speak specifically from a, a, a Western or United States perspective. I'm not going to speak globally because Christianity, of course, is thriving in what we would call the emerging world outside of what we think of as the, you know, the the Western countries yeah. and community as I hear and understand of, and, and have experienced in my lim limited capacity there is thriving and it still is very community based. But here in the States, you know, we are so individualistically and autonomously minded oh, yeah. and we're literate mm -hmm. and we have access to resources. We're not dependent in the same way that we think we are in the community to even read or get resources or, or work through things. And so the tendency of course is isolation and, and, and autonomy. And, and you see this even in, in church world where people, uh, people go to churches, like people go to restaurants. Do I like the menu? And as soon as I don't, I jump ship and I'm somewhere else. Yeah. Bunch of anonymous strangers sitting in the same place, feeding from the same menu. Yeah. It, it, it's lost. I think God's dream. Sure. It's like, Oh, either I don't like the worship. I don't like the music or I don't like what the pastor's teaching. Um, or, or I don't like someone in the community or someone has rubbed me right. wrong because everyone I think uh, wants community, but no one wants to pay the price of community. And the mm -hmm. price of community is putting up with people that you don't like. Yeah. It's, it's tough. And you can't have both. You can't have both. Yeah. If you're going to be in community, you're going to be with people who are different than you and people that rub you the wrong way. And you either learn to navigate that or you live alone. And how do we learn to have civil discourse then in that type of environment? Because we do have this culture <laughs> where it's like they, people want to be fed. They would just want to come to church. And, I just want to hear what Dave has to say on this. And I'm not going to challenge it. Which Maybe is a little bit. No, of, a little know, bit. Pushback. But, but by and large, we in the society, like you said, we are literate. We have so much access to everything, information beyond belief. But yet we'll subject ourselves to just go into a place to be taught at, to be spoken to. And not really have, um, certainly we'll have small groups, you know, a lot of churches will, will gather together out, outside of a, you know, a Sunday morning worship type service to discuss, but there's always a leader. Maybe you're following a book to, you know, for us to sit down and go, all right, let's just have, let's just argue. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's really get in the, and argue in a each healthy other. way. Exactly. We're, yeah. we're yelling at each other. We're no, no. But then when we're done, we hug each other. Great. See you next week. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a beautiful thing. And it has a deep tradition in history. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that most of the New Testament's moral advice is written specifically 
to help people in church community not getting along learn how to get along. Whether it was Jew Gentile distinction, male yeah. female distinction, slave and slave owner distinction, yeah. um, you know, all kinds of distinctions you can go through. I mean, in fact, many of the New Testament write, uh, letters seem to be written even on the premise of Paul trying to forge this disparate community together, trying to help them discover what what unity, peace, joy, mm -hmm. commonality, community, and the edification that comes from that looks like. I've always <laughs> always thought, man, he must have been so frustrated. I mean, oh. you, you, you read some of his, <laughs> his writings of these churches and the intra-church disputes and the inter-church disputes. And, you know, it's like, I, I just imagine he's at some point just going... <sighs> Yeah, all right. You know, I what? was gonna read something. About it. I'm gonna idiots. let it go. But some some of the times I'm like 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 Paul blows a stack. Yeah, and you just see him doing that, throwing his hands right. up, and like you know, yeah. well, it's so yeah. repetitive. It's like I feel like I just talked to you about this. Now we're yeah. doing this again. Yeah, yeah. Like, you got it. Thank God I'm in You prison. got it. <laughs> right. Because yeah. I'd be He's killing like, people right, right. That's it. Exactly. Uh, Carol, how are you? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Shana, uh, how are you? Has a question. Uh, as well. But folks, uh, for more information, where can they find you guys on a typical day uh, other than 216 Senate? Yeah, so we're, uh, Pastor and I are at uh, Fellowship of Faith, which is Did a, you just call church. me Pastor? He did. did. It's, he wow, did. that was weird, man. Wow. I, mean, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. You can Dave find me I... in Tech Director at <laughs> Fellowship of Faith. <laughs> He prefers to be known as P. Diddy. That's <laughs> perfect. Yeah. P. Davy. I guess I should appreciate the nod, but right. <laughs> I'm respecting you, Very, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I respect you too, Andrew. You know, it's, it's usual. <laughs> but yes, uh, Dave and I are uh, on staff at Fellowship of Faith, uh, which is a church here in McHenry. And uh, you can go to fellowshipoffaith.org to find other resources we have there. We call it FOF Plus. So that's got some different podcasts, our YouTube channel, Past services, and even sermons. this podcast, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, the, the recordings are posted from, yeah, mm -hmm. no and archives of, of this past. And of course, podcast, you can yeah. catch them on Sunday mornings right here, at twenty one six the net. Yeah, yeah, we do our services live Sunday morning. We uh, we we do in person and live stream at ten a.m. You know, obviously, come to the address sixty one twenty Mason Hill Road in McHenry. Directions, you know, are mm -hmm. easy to find. Um, and we uh, let you get involved the live in the stream on on Facebook. Catch us on the net here. Yep. And if you want to be part of the podcast, send the questions in. You can send yeah. them to your emails over there. Uh, you can send them to twin6thenet at gmail.com. You can text them in, or you can comment like uh, Shana did here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what do we got from Shana? All right. So Shana asks, um, what's the seminary answer in addressing the differences between geological timelines and the evidence supporting it and the timeline of Christianity? Thanks. Great question. I you know, appreciate the question, Shana, and thank you so much for asking. And uh, this is... It's, it's difficult to answer, and I know what you're getting at, and, and I'm going to go with what you're getting at. But let me start here. It depends what seminary. Um, the harmony or disparity between creation and evolution um, is one of those areas where you're going to find a lot of diversity in the Christian community. And what I'm going to do is give you a certain array of answers, and then I'll polish that off with giving my answer, so yeah. to speak. There are some who see evolution in Christianity, and I'm talking worldviews here, as being completely complementary. And so often what that means is that the Christian understanding fits into the evolutionary model as it is understood today. So we take the evolutionary model as it exists today in the secular world for the facts of what happened, but then understand the Bible poetically or creatively, so to speak, as, as, as not giving us history as much as it's giving us um, just a, a fanciful way of describing that um, God is somehow behind this and God somehow has created it, although albeit through other mechanisms and other timelines. Well, there's a lot of the Christian community who struggles with that because even though Genesis 1 is certainly poetic in nature, mm -hmm. the early chapters of Genesis also seem to be historic in nature, that they're actually trying to tell us what happened. And there has been more ink spilled on this and more, more, more stuff written about how the nuances of this work. And some will get very dogmatic and reject evolution altogether. Mm -hmm. Others will have mediating positions within that. I have, over the course of my life, gone between various positions in how 
evolution and creation and the creation accounts and the theology of the Bible interact um, uh, to more points and places, allowing myself to be challenged, allowing myself to learn more. And as I learn more to kind of have my path redirected, um, I am probably a closet young earth creationist. If you really forced me to it. And what does that mean? Um, what that means is I think that when Genesis talks about days, that it isn't talking about seasons of time. But it actually is referring to which is a common days theory, and, and even people that I've read that I've really respect who who are very evolutionary minded will still kind of often come back and go. This seems to be the right way to read Genesis or what the author intended. Ironically and interesting, though, you know, we all like to uh, talk about the fundamentalists. Fundamental Christian fundamentalists love to be hated. <laughs> if you actually read the Christian fundamentals, the works that mm -hmm. the term fundamentalism is based off of, they were actually old earth evolution or old earth creationists. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unlike the typical fundamentalist movement of today. today. Yeah. Um, so just some food for thought there um, and things to yeah. keep in mind. Um, you know, I, I tend to think that, that the model that the Bible is, is painting is that it's a younger earth rather than an older earth. How young is that? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But we're talking in tens of thousands rather than millions, right? Or certainly billions for the universe. Sure. And uh, um, th this is opening up some other things about, you know, geological timelines and how that fits. Yeah. All, all I would say is, you know, this is nothing to stay ignorant of. It's not all answerable. Um, and some of it isn't seen to be reconcilable at this point. But there is a lot of work being done in science. And there is a lot of work being done in theology. And as work continues to be done in science and theology, new insights are seen in both arenas that help, I think, enrich the story where it can be a healthy and good conversation rather than a polarizing one. This is why I recommended the BioLogos website last week. It's biologos.org. I, 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 I mistakenly said nice .com. I think it's some cleaning there. products. Uh, sorry, <laughs> listeners. That's not where I meant to, not to steer you. By um, I but I enjoy it, I engaging with biologos.org. It's a collection of, of, of Christian scientists who are wrestling through these issues and who have a, a diversity of opinion on this. Um, I really like the theological work of John Walton. He's an Old Testament scholar mm -hmm. who has got some just amazingly enriching insights into how to interpret Genesis that I think will take you a long way. I also love like Creation Research Institute and, and they love to be hated. You know, they got the Creation Museum and the Ark and you might not agree with all their conclusions and, 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 um, and, and things like that, but let them challenge you. Yeah, because the, the nature of science is to allow itself to be proven wrong. And as soon as we get dogmatic about science, dare I say, you turn science into your religion. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they're asking these questions too. Like, well, if that's true, then are you also saying that our understanding of maybe the basic laws of physics is actually changing? Because people bring up things like, well, what about radioactive decay and carbon dating to say, you know, this stuff can't. You know, and, and there's there's so many old. fascinating articles written on this, and it's not uh, sure you can entertain that maybe the laws of physics change. Certainly, the idea of miracles is that God can bend the laws of physics or right. break them, and if you're going to allow anything except the most rigidly materialistic closed system universe, then of course you have a supernatural being that can intervene. But yeah. more often, those specific questions, Mark, I think can be challenged or, or, or thought through, not on the basis of changing the laws of physics, but on the methodologies behind why those conclusions are drawn mm -hmm. from the experiments that are done and the starting point assumptions that are brought in. And there's some great challenges to that that have uh, convinced me that we don't have origins nearly as figured out as we think we do in the scientific community, nor do I think we can be as dogmatic and one insistence on the reading of Genesis in the theological community that sometimes has been insisted on. I love how what the what are called the ecumenical creeds put it. Remember earlier the denominational comment that was made? Yeah. In the history of Christianity, there have been three summary belief systems that have been developed called the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. And in all of them, they give what are considered the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith that are non-negotiable, really, mm -hmm. if you truly are going to be someone who is going to identify as Christian and adhere to a Christian worldview. Right. All three of them insist that God is the creator, but none of them give a methodology of creation. Interesting. And why is that? Because I don't think that the methodology of creation 
is considered a cardinal belief. Not that it Christian doesn't matter. Worldview. Of course it matters. Right. All things matter, right? Mm-hmm. But to what degree do they matter? There in all of life, there are certain yeah. cardinal things and there's there's secondary things that follow. Right. You know, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was sent for the sins of the world is far more important than whether you baptize by immersion or by pouring. Right. Does it matter? Yes. But certain things matter more. Does it matter if God is creator? Yes. Yeah, the worldview of the Bible, I, I hate to use the word, depends on it. Well, it's a non-negotiable. I it's mean, non-negotiable. Right. But how God went about creating, there is a lot of room for discussion, mm. arguing, investigation, learning. And, and I have strong opinions on this, and I'm intentionally kind of holding back on my own like <laughs> schools of thought and, and things like <laughs> yeah, that. But, but I think it's better to discuss it out and let iron sharpen iron than... I agree. Uh, anyway. But if you're if you're a guy like me, I, who cares, right? That, and that's what I say is like, why why argue about it? If, if you believe that, uh, boom, bang, that is, and I believe that God said bang, and that's what it is. To me, I, you know, my world started 52 years ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm sitting here like, well, why are we arguing about centuries ago or? billions of years ago whose character were here now uh and if that's if my belief is the creation story great if yours is you know evolution okay well let's walk together and figure this out you know not necessarily argue about it i don't that's why i don't understand I'm like that was a long time ago right no and i appreciate what you're bringing up there kent and, and i do think for many people that is the case but but i would actually find myself in the opposite place going to me it does matter um, because I, I want to know the fullness and the richness of the revelation of God and what he's doing in this world and the intricacies of how we're developed and the implications that that might have for how I understand myself and the universe and my relationship with God. Now, to your point, I, I, I don't think that these are things that we should hate each other over, divide per se, right. even over, or, 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 or maybe better put, even if we have our schools of thought and our belief systems and gather around it, that we shouldn't, certainly shouldn't condemn out of hand others who are coming to different belief systems if they're doing it sincerely and remaining open to being challenged in that place. Oh, cool. So yeah, Shana, thanks for asking. And, uh, you know, we encourage you, you know, keep on asking, keep pushing the, uh, the question line if it's something that you would uh, um, like some more insight on or more specificity on. But uh, with that said, let's, uh, let's, let's keep going. Absolutely. Ready for another one? Yeah. All right. This, um, well, you know, actually, this is, you know, I'll, I'll just I'll just read through this because I think you've really touched on this already because this came in from last week as well. Oh, OK. OK. Um, you know, so if we want to, you know, unpack it a little bit more, uh, the Bible says God created the world in six and rested on day seven. So yeah. Six days. OK. Rested on day right. Seven, yeah. The Genesis right? story. Mm-hmm. Right. So does that mean it took him one hundred and thirty eight hours <laughs> exactly to create the world? Or was time measured differently then? So I think that obviously we covered a lot of that, um, but also kind of getting back to that nature of, all right, is, is our notion understanding of physics changing maybe because God can do miracles? So maybe was an hour, you know, 60 minutes with 60 seconds or was time slower than it is? We could still say it was hours, six days, right. seven days, you know, right. you know, is I don't even know what the question is there. But. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm trying to do <laughs> yeah. my math really quick to go, yeah, is six 24-hour periods, what, 138 yeah. hours? I'll, I'll take your word for yeah. it on that one and rest <laughs> it on the seventh. But of course, the reference is to Genesis chapter one and two. And in it, there is this, this, this poetic intro to the book of Genesis where God creates the heavens and the earth. And the rhythm is, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Right. And then it'll do a whole bunch of creating. God said, let there be animals and let there be, you know, vegetation. And I'm not giving this an order, obviously, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it always follows with, and God saw it and it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the second day, the third day. Some, and, you know, I referenced the fundamentals earlier, um, uh, tried to reconcile it with evolution by going, it is poetry. Um, there, there's a highly um, lyrical and poetic nature to this book. Maybe it's using the word day metaphorically, and each day could be an, an epoch of creation, so to speak, mm-hmm. encompassing thousands, if not millions of years. And, and that's kind of how it works. I, I mean, I suppose that's possible. But I will tell you that most Bible scholars that have written extensively about this have backed off of that, regardless of their conclusion, going, it really seems that what the author intends here is a day 
let's not put it to the 20, uh, what is an actual right, rotation, well, 24 hours and two minutes or something right, like that. Yeah. But, uh, um, but you know, a sun up, sun down cycle, you, you know, that's built in that, that every human has been identifying a day by since the time of Adam and Eve. Isn't it already, you know, know what I mean? Also noted though, in the Bible that God made the sun stand still. So the day would last longer. Wasn't there, Oh yeah. Yeah. That comes out of Joshua. Right, right. Right. So is that true? Did, did also in that day, was that day longer than 24 hours? And it seems to be, it seems to be as Joshua is recording that, like, like what does that mean? And what does that mean for either perception? And here's where we have to start separating out what's called phenomenology. <laughs> and I kind of, <laughs> what, 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 phenomena, right. how we learn by phenomena. Okay. Phenomena. You know, scientifically that a day can be measured on some kind of cycle by the rotation of the earth's spin down to a nanosecond. Right. But the reality is you function by a sun up to sun down mindset, right? Right. right? Mm -hmm. That's how you perceive a day. So when Joshua talks about the day standing still, obviously there's a miracle in place here. I don't think it's right to import that into the Genesis story. I don't think the one has anything to do with the other. But how that actually played out astronomically, mm -hmm. does that mean that the Earth stopped? Boom, it froze in place. Well, that's creating its own set of kind of issues <laughs> yeah, and things like that. Or did God that. keep light shining upon it, regardless of the day at astronomically at play? Mm -hmm. Right. And of course, these are unanswered questions. What the, what the story is trying to tell you is God gave them extra light that they needed for mm -hmm. the battle at hand. Gotcha. So it wasn't, but that's not Genesis. No, that's not <laughs> Genesis. So yeah, essentially it's not that the earth stood still. I'm You're not saying, saying it didn't. I'm knows? saying it probably didn't, right. but I'm saying it's not a question that it's trying to answer. But that's why we, right. you know, fall back in the fall and jump forward an hour. So well, the day's longer. Right? Yeah. Well, so. that is true. <laughs> Microcosm. Yeah. That's the, um, but does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, 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 with that? I think it does. And, and so you say you don't import that into Genesis because that wasn't the intent of the author. The author wasn't necessarily right. trying to say, hey, listen, it's important you understand that the day is not 24 hours when, you know, you know, it, you know, it doesn't really matter, doesn't import into that. One of the mistakes I see people make when they try to read and interpret the Bible is they come across a word like day, and then they try to read every other place in the Bible where day is mentioned. And just because it's mentioned there, assume that that's what the author of Genesis meant by the word day. Right. And let me give you an example here. Let's talk about light. If I was to speak about light when I was 12, and then you were to record every conversation I've had where I mentioned or wrote the word light, and then take those meanings of the word light and import it into what I meant back when I was 12, <laughs> you, you see right off the bat that that's ridiculous. Yeah. It would lead to all kinds of false conclusions because, of course, what can light mean? It can refer to weight. It can refer to the ability to see the brightness of a room. It can refer to a physical object like a lamp. Mm -hmm. I guess you're changing the spelling a little bit, but it can refer to like a diet plan or, 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 or you know, doing something in a, in a, in a non-dense mm -hmm. sort of way. I mean, it can be used in so many different contexts in so many different ways. You have to use it in the way that it's intended in its specific place. It's kind of like the copy paste method of you can't just grab one yeah. thing from here and here and combine yeah. them and go, well, this is what it means. And then there's assumptions then on what the intention is. Yeah. So like you said, you, you know, you're talking about an author who is, you know, is, is a real person in a real time and a real place mm -hmm. writing for a real audience, putting something out there. You got it. And so to really understand, you know, it's, it's, um, I've, I've always liked to liken it to, I've been as interested in studying the lives of the people who wrote as opposed to yeah. what they wrote, mm -hmm. yeah, because that's going to inform so much in our understanding of what it is they're trying to communicate. So when I read something, you know, I can go, you know, like a, maybe it's a silly example, but you look at the, uh, like the gospel of John, as opposed to the revelation of John where, you know, historically folks think, Oh, it's probably the same person who wrote them. I read that and I go, really? I mean, the, the, it's so completely different. I, mm -hmm. That does not look like the same person who wrote these types of things. So trying to understand the person and where they're coming from, I think informs me a lot as, as got far it. as what it is that they're trying to say. You got it. And anytime we go to the Genesis story with the scientific questions, you're already asking questions that Genesis is not looking to answer. It doesn't mean it can't inform. Right. 
um, our, our history of the cosmos, um, you know, our cosmology, yeah. so to speak, or cosmogony. But we're obsessed with this set of questions and God is trying to, and, and our listeners can't see this. Um, on <laughs> one hand, we're asking this set of questions and trying to extract from the Bible answers to these questions. All the while, God is talking about this and we're not listening. What is Genesis trying to communicate, right? Yeah. That's where you want to start. And that's where the real richness is. And that's where I encourage you to go to, um, to John Walton and some of those authors. And uh, I, I think it'll help reframe some of these for yeah. you. Well, I think some of that gets to a little bit of what Kent was saying earlier of like, okay, even if I don't, do I need to focus on the details of creation or how is God as a whole informing my life and what I do in my life? So it's kind of the idea of, okay, while yes, it's good to know those things, how is that impacting what I do on a day-to-day basis as a Christian? Am I showing God's love? Am I sharing his, his word and everything like that? It's like, we can get caught up in the weeds sometimes, but then go, okay, how, but how is, how is this impacting how I'm living my life? Yeah, exactly. And, and let me just throw this out there and uh, just to kind of reframe some things. And then uh, I'm almost not wanting to go down this rabbit hole. So I'm kind of being intentionally <laughs> cruel about this. I'll, I'll really but, in. <laughs> yeah. Certainly Genesis is showing us that God is the creator. Yeah. Okay. Let's just kind of take that established fact and put it over here. The Genesis 1 and 2 story is about God creating a temple. The questions he wants you to be asking and realizing and and interfacing with and understanding is what does it mean that God is building a temple? Who reads Genesis that way? Who who, who, who looks at Genesis 1 and 2 and go, because we're not in their culture, we're not in their worldview, we're not asking the questions that they want to answer. And that's... So many people just stop at the fact that, okay, there's two different creation stories in the sense that, okay... These are out of order. Which one do I believe? You know? So, well, to your point, point. you're missing the point. The point isn't this chronological, you know, the point is God is building something. He's created, he's the creator. And that's, that's the point of the story. I mean, you have to start with creation. And it doesn't mean that the story is devoid of other facts because sometimes this gets so reductionistic that it's like, you know, fine. Genesis one, one in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So why do you have the next 30 verses? (laughs) Right. Because there are more facts and there are more things that it has to say. And then there is also chapter two and there's Mm -hmm. also Psalm 104 and there's also Job and there's also Isaiah and there's also, uh, you know, a billion other references from, you you know, the prophets to Jesus um, in relation to it. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. That's that's (laughs) good stuff. That that is is good stuff. Yeah. And we got a comment from John on Facebook. He just says, this is so interesting. I have to go back and watch the rest of it, but he has to go back to work now. So yes, please check us out on, on Spotify. The whole episode will be up there uh, probably in, in a day or so where you can come back to 216, the Nets Facebook page, watch the whole thing there. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. For, John, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It's interesting. We got uh, our uh, fellowship of faith, uh, worship director is, is online watching us now too. And um, you know, <laughs> he does a very serious question. He's the host of this podcast. I'm just sitting in, um, today, I'm Mark Chaffee. Nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> and what Mark Chaffee is not telling you is that he was the former worship director over at Fellowship of Faith. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like this strange, like doppelganger thing yeah, happening. So, you know, like the, worlds are colliding. It is. Past the baton and all yeah. that stuff. And world comes back around. And, you know, <laughs> but no, he has a very serious question. He says here, um, who cuts Pastor Dave's hair? Yeah. You know what? I mean, there, there's context to this because, um, oh you know, he's not just curious. Yeah. <laughs> Steve accused me of cheating on him a couple of weeks ago because Steve's actually been cutting my hair since COVID. Oh, like, you know, I did like a lot of people did where I got COVID head, you, yeah, you know, yeah. and you just like, you know, four months no. and you're kind of like out yeah. here and it's like ridiculous. And it's like, dude, I, I cut hair, man. I could do this. I used to do this in the Navy all the time. So I was going oh, to Steve, That's cool. but like, you know, he's been traveling a lot lately and he's been gone. It's like, man, I was, I was shagging out bad. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, Yet, I, I had to go pinch it, you know, <laughs> done what I did. I mean, once COVID hit, I haven't had my hair cut since it started. I mean, <laughs> really? I, was, I was really short. Oh, and yeah. then, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm like, ponytail yeah. power, man. I, yeah. You know, it covers the bald spot. A yeah. Bit <laughs> you know, right. That's right. good, man. Good. feel like I'm back in my twenties. Maybe I'll get back down to my butt. I know. Yeah. 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 I remember some of those pictures. Break oh, out yeah. the leather pants too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, that was pleather, man. Yeah. Was, not the real stuff. Not, not the real. You ever stuff. see that? Was it a? Uh, it was Seinfeld. It was a Friends episode where he wore the leather pants and he couldn't get him back oh, yeah, on. Yeah. You know, he went to the bathroom. 
because he was so hot and they were sticking so me. I'm like, yeah, yeah right, telecom open. It's yeah. more of a paste. <laughs> it's more of a paste. Oh, gosh. How much time do we have? Oh, about, um, yeah, how are we doing here? How are we doing there? We've got about 16 minutes. Let's All right, we're doing good on time. All right, what um, else do we have? Do you want another question here? Yeah, yeah, fire away. Gosh, a lot of creation questions have come in. I don't know if do you want to stay on the topic. Or we talked we about that a lot last week too. Really? You know, I, I'm thinking we may uh, need to dedicate like just one episode or, or maybe a series of episodes in the future yeah. to, to creation questions. We gather all the questions together. We take the ones that are kind of asked in and we do it as one kind of narrative flow with even some more um, like, like teaching based into it possibly. But uh, um, uh, it seems to be uh, a point where there's a lot of hunger out there and a lot of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Keep asking them. Keep asking them. They're fantastic questions. Yeah. And again, if you want to text in, that number is 815-314-0363. Yeah. And yeah. we can answer live on the air if you do that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, we're getting them. Please we'll do. get them live right, right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's, here's, uh, it's creation related, but it does have definitely a different angle. It's a different question. Okay. Uh, this one came in, uh, it says, the listener asked, did God create angels during the six days of creation? If he mm. created angels even before the six days of creation and Satan fell, how could that be deemed as good? I guess there's actually probably two or three kind of questions in that. So. There, there is, but I'm understanding the, the logical yeah, flow, yeah. and I want to thank you for asking that. It's a, it's a great question, and of course, as, as much as creation and evolution occupies our mind, <laughs> so does um, what, what has come to be termed the unseen realm, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, I just kind of want to plug a book um, by Michael Heiser called The Unseen Realm, okay. which is the supernatural worldview of the Bible. There is a reader's version called Supernatural, which I personally don't like as much. Go for the heavy hitter called Unseen Realm, but just get prepared to get bogged down in footnotes. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I think it'll rock your world and speak into some of these kinds of again? things. The Unseen Realm yeah. by Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R. Fantastic piece of um, uh, fantastic work. And he's written a lot. He actually has a website, I think, of the same name that you can uh, visit. Sure. But let's go with it. Did God create angels. Yes, God created angels. Did he create them in the six days of creation? Most likely, but I'm reserving it back one iota because you really get the sense of Genesis that it's talking about the creation of all things, including the universe from the beginning. Yeah. But the focus of Genesis truly is what I would call the material universe. Mm -hmm. And I mean more than earth. I certainly mean the universe as we know it. Yeah. And how the creation of the spiritual realm fits into that can be debated, but for argument's sake, let's just say, yes, it was in the six days of creation, and I think it happened to be, all right? Mm -hmm. So if God created angels in the six days of creation and certain angels, or, or the figure that we often refer to as Satan or the devil, fell, well, how does that fit in? Well, you're assuming that Satan fell in the six days of creation. That's an assumption that isn't stated in the text. All right. right. So that's number one, because you don't get the fall. Uh, you don't get the story of the temptation of Adam and Eve until Genesis three. And you don't know how much time is between the sixth day of creation and Genesis one. And when that event happens in Genesis three. So that's one fly in the ointment. Okay. Right. Fly in the ointment. Um, excuse me. Number two, you know, we talked about like how that, that pattern fit in with mm -hmm. the fall, but you're assuming that good means perfect. Good does not mean perfect, and I'm not toying with your words. Right. Because the storyline of Genesis is not that God created perfection, as you often think about it. God said, and it is good, and it is good, and it is good, and he polishes the whole thing off by saying it is very good. But the story of Genesis is God creating humanity to continue the developmental work of his creation. That what God started in creation, while being very good, was not the end. And the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, actually picks up on this, where you see what began as a garden being developed into a God-honoring city. Yeah. And what's the difference between a garden and a city? Well, it's a, it's a lot more buildings and pavement and parks and roads and <laughs> you know infrastructure and, and people and everything else. Yeah. Adam and Eve were called to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue the earth. Yeah. Well, you have to subdue the earth. The earth is still wild. Did God create predatory creatures? That's a, that's a debate we can have. Um, for another time as well. Yeah. But it is quite possible that what God created good or very good still had, while not human sit in it, not the curse of sin on the creation as we know it, things happening on the spiritual world, in the spiritual plane that, that that's, intervened. That's fascinating because I think there are a lot of people, me included on some level, that 
yeah, I think I had always read the creation story. It's good, meaning, yeah, it was perfect, meaning, you know, if there's going to be a fall, if there's going to be a sin, you know, out of perfection, must have started from perfection. But what you're saying is that's not the case. And, and, I mean, and, it was and, very good, but it wasn't yet perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm offering another line of thought huh. yeah. on it. And, and I think a very compelling one. And one of the problems is I think that the assumption is, 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 is merited, Mark, because I'll say this as a pastor. I've talked I've talked this way about creation. It was perfect. It was great. Yeah. You know, we just kind of give these what I would call um, cliche yeah. or or lower common denominator responses without really getting to the nuances of how it affects these particular questions. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. That that's awesome. One thing that Steve commented, he said, also check out Frank Peretti, who is more of a fictional writer about the kind of unseen oh realm. yeah i remember that so i was at this Peretti, present think, darkness and powers oh, of yeah, darkness yeah, remember yeah. all those and another he, one and he wrote a series of them but yeah Ted decker he kind of delves into some of that as well but the, yeah those are those are certainly novels those, those yes. are meant to be novelizations though i think Frank Peretti's stuff gives great insight yeah. but uh yeah 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 that's good stuff. yeah all right yeah, we thanks. had one coming through text here okay um does God speak to everyone, either through visions, whispers, answered prayer, etc.? If so, why do some people hear it clearly and others never hear it? Good question. Great question. Does God speak to everyone through visions, whispers? I believe there was another one in there. Uh, answered prayer. You know, we, we've just put three things on the table, which means I have to answer each of them yes and no individually. Does God speak to everyone through visions? I can't say dogmatically yes. Maybe, and maybe a lot of us are missing it, but I don't think you can insist on it. And, and, and so I would say, no. Does God speak to everyone through whispers? Well, do you mean this? Hello, how are you? I, I mean, you know, you know, what are we indicating by the element of whisper? You, you know, what is that metaphor kind of indicating? Because even when people talk about God whispering to them, they often don't mean an audible whisper. No, that happened to me in the Almighty. Right. That kind of so does God... <laughs> Does God, can I use the metaphor of speak? And I mean speak as a metaphor right now. Does God communicate or impress himself or work in the heart of every human being? Yes, I believe so, right? Does God work through the prayers of all people? Yes, God does. Whether we're aware of them or not, know that we're being prayed for or not, um, seeing them or not, or even have the mind to ask. Yeah. Why do some people see them more clearly than others? Well, some people, um, there's a variety of reasons here. Some people pay more attention. Some people have tuned themselves to know what to listen for better. Um, and, and through wisdom and discernment and the community and everything else, have, have, have trained themselves to know ways that God speaks and to look, through, look, to look for it, right? Yeah. But God communicates in different ways to different people. Um, and what I mean is in these very hyper-personal ways. But God is active in this world. God is alive in this world. But I want to lead you back to somewhere that's more important than all of the dreams, all of the visions, and all of the whispers that you're looking for. And I say this knowing how near and dear those modes of communication are to us from God, how much we savor them, thirst for them, want those personally. God has communicated. This is the message of the Bible. God has communicated to all of us through his prophets through his word, as we call the Bible, through his church, and most of all, through his son. It's what we see in Jesus that is the greatest communication of God. And therefore, the record of Jesus becomes, becomes the greatest interface for knowing who God is, what God wants, and what God is telling us. I think we need to pay more attention to what God has said than trying to figure out what he's saying. Yeah, There are stories messages of, of uh, you know, teachings of Jesus and the prophets in the Bible that are so clear, that are so clear and unambiguous that if we would, if we would spend more time just listening to those and not worrying about what I'm missing about, like, who should I marry or what college should I go to? Or mm -hmm. how do I navigate this crisis? Oh, that's important stuff. But God has said stuff that will speak into those, even if you're not getting the specific answer about, you know, whether it's this girl or not. Did I ever tell you the story, by the way? Um, um, when I was wrestling, looking for the still small voice with my wife, Tina. <laughs> I, know I don't think story. so. I don't think I've heard it. Listen, all of, all of us who I think get, get, get just, mm, 
intimate and sincere and driven and, 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 and zealous, I'll use that word, for seeking God, come to this place where you're so thirsty mm-hmm. to hear that voice, right? To have that sign, to know what he's saying. And I was dating my wife. Uh, we married 25 years. It'll be this summer, 25 years, all right? Dating my wife, who I love my, now more than ever, um, and, and wrestling. I wanted to marry her. I thought she was the right girl for me. I so desperately wanted confirmation from God. What if I'm, what if I'm not doing your will in this God? What if I'm following my own heart in this God? And so I did the Bible roulette game, <laughs> which is basically Dangerous. you just oh, open yeah. at random and you start reading somewhere and you take wildly out of context whatever it says right. and, uh, and treat it to. as a sign. And I kid you not, I turned to Proverbs where it talks about fleeing from the adulterous woman. <laughs> oh, man. I was just like, and she's never cheated me a day in my life to my knowledge anyway. Right. <laughs> but you know, we got a great, you know, the context didn't fit, but you, can you see how that would lead you down the wrong path? Yeah. And can you see how if you're looking for the visions and the omens and the signs and the dreams, how even though God does communicate mightily through those and many people and many people I've known, to get dependent on that as the primary communication of God is to miss what God is saying. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I like. I, I like about that uh, is trying to listen to what he has said rather than what he's saying. You know, as as a dad now of adult kids – I go, you know, they come back to me and go, oh, I get it. I, I did this today. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's what that, you know. Yeah. And I find that saying that about myself and my dad as well. So you may not think you're paying attention, but back then you're like, oh, that's what that's what he meant with that. Right. So I, I'm fishing for the author who wrote the book, Divine Conspiracy. It came out in the early 90s, but really kind of rocked the Christian the world. And the angel. Yeah, Dallas Willard. Thank you. Dallas Willard, late Dallas Willard. He wrote a book called Hearing God. Mm-hmm. which was a very philosophical, um, um, uh, conservative Christian, takes the Bible very seriously, sees it as the inspired word of God, sees it as a message of God, but, 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 but very philosophically minded. Mm-hmm. And he was wrestling through the context of uh, hearing God and, and the struggle and the problem most of us have. And he opened with a story in it about his grandma, who is one of the most devout Christian women he's ever met. Someone who is inspirational to him in his faith, Someone who, if anyone had the voice of God, it was this woman, right? And how about at a family gathering, very candidly and and almost sheepishly at one point, she broke into a family discussion where people were talking about hearing God going, wow, I wish I heard him like that. Hmm. God speaks in a variety of ways to the heart personally and through a thousand different mechanisms to get our attention but he speaks in commonality to all of us through his son, Jesus, and through the testimony and the word that surrounds it. And that's the clearest message of all. Run there. Run there. Nice. Very good. The, um, I think there's one commonality. You didn't mention it specifically, but I think you really talked um, about this, is that God also speaks through experience. Um, you weren't expecting that uh, the answer you got in scripture, but he did speak through that experience of like, okay, I hear what you're saying to me. Um, and I know, you know, for my, my own self, my own walk, just the small experiences in life are sometimes the most profound. Um, and because they're so personal. Yeah. Because they're personal. We we chase them the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, I think it's about time that we wrap up. We're coming up on the, uh, the end of our hour here. So yeah, it was a, a good discussion, Mark. I want to thank you again for coming in <laughs> and, uh, back, and pinch hitting. And, you know, we got to have you back again. We got to have you and Steve kind of doing some kind of like, like, like we'll, we'll do questions to you guys about oh, gosh, being worship director you know, and stuff <laughs> like that. You guys duke it out yeah. for the host, yeah. the host seat. The insanity yeah. you're working at Fellowship of Faith or, you know, whatever you want to make it. But, yeah, we, uh, we can bore everybody to death that yeah, way. Well, we'll save that when Dave's on vacation, right? Then, <laughs> oh, questions you never thought you could ask about Dave. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Now, Kent, then we'll, we'll put you on the hot seat for that one. There you go. No, but brother, good reconnecting again. Yeah, Andrew, as always, great having you here. Kent, I want to thank you for producing today. Always. Thanks to all our listeners today. This is questions you never thought you could ask in church. I'm taking your outro, Mark, so no, I'm handing please. it to you. No, like, you know, you're old hand at this now. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, we are, we are very thankful that you guys tune in. Make sure you tune in next week um, on Sundays at uh, fellowshipoffaith.org, also on 21.6 the net. Uh, you can hear Dave Preacher, see what uh, whatever um, 
else is kind of coming through and talking about, but certainly keep the text flowing in and we will catch you around the next time. Yeah. If we didn't get to your questions, whether you posted them or not, we got them in the hopper. They'll, they'll field them to me next time. Again, that's 815-314-0363, 815-314-0363. You can post them on either of our Facebook pages here at 216th the Net or at Fellowship of Faith. We didn't get to them. Um, they're waiting. We'll get to them. Tune on in. Catch us on Spotify if you missed us. And uh, here we go. Thanks for inviting me. I'm hoping Good to, to have you.